how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're bottom. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to the Creative Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. Over the past 200-plus episodes, I've had the good fortune of speaking with dozens of screenwriters, actors, and directors, such as Aaron Sorkin, Mel Brooks, Carrie Fukunaga, Whitney Cummings, Michael Imperioli, and William Monaghan, among others. We've dissected ideas on story, character, filmmaking, habits, and various principles for creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can also find several of these interviews on the Creative Screenwriting Magazine website, in addition to some that aren't available in audio, such as with Nick Kroll or Stephen Merchant. In addition to the podcast, also make sure to search for the new video essay series on YouTube, also called Creative Principles, where we take a deep dive into movies and television. Join millions of viewers for subjects like the 16 personalities expressed as characters, Did Home Alone, Rowan John Hughes' Career, The Greatest Movie Never Made, and How Jackie Chan Creates Perfection Through Failure, among many more. That's Creative Principles on YouTube. Elena Smith got her start as a playwright, which she believes uniquely prepares you for what it takes to be a creator and showrunner in television. This background of being a collaborator and visionary helped Smith and many of her Yale peers transition to television work. She's known for working on Aaron Sorkin's The Newsroom and with fellow alum Sarah Treem on The Affair. In her most recent project, she's the creator of Apple TV's Dickinson. In the Haley Seinfeld-led series, Smith invites audiences to see an inside look at the world of Emily Dickinson. In this interview, Smith talks about the unique perspective of the affair, how Louie inspired the style of Dickinson, her take on a contemporary Emily Dickinson, her unique writer's room for this historical fiction piece, and her recipe for being a prolific writer. I started as a playwright. And um, I uh, wrote my first play um, my senior year of college. And then I um, went to Yale Drama School, uh, which is a three-year program. So um, <clears throat> I was really diving deep into theater there. Um, and then came out of Yale and was basically writing only plays for about six years and living in New York. Um, and, you know, you know, producing my plays or, or having them produced. Um, and uh, then I, um, you know, in it, when I was graduating from Yale, I really had zero interest in uh, screenwriting. Um, I, I didn't like, I didn't, I saw myself going a more kind of like um, academic path with theater being my primary interest. Um, but you know, over those years in New York, there was sort of more and more of my kind of theater cohort that uh, left New York and moved to LA and started writing for TV. And I saw that a, a number of um, 
my sort of generation of playwrights, they were um, not just like getting staff writing jobs, they were creating shows and becoming showrunners. And I think that um, being a playwright sort of uniquely prepares you for what it takes to be a creator and showrunner of a television show because um, you, you know, you have this background in working with actors and directors and designers, but sort of being the ultimate um, visionary behind the piece, right? So, so as opposed to like film where it's traditionally been more of a director's medium, um, theater really belongs to the playwright. And I think that's true for um, television and show running as well. So um, basically I, you know, sort of transitioned out to LA and uh, started learning how to be a television writer, uh, which in large part um, happened when I was a writer on The Affair, which is a show created by Sarah Treem, who was a playwright who was a classmate of mine at Yale Drama School. Um, and Sarah uh, really mentored me in terms of um, how to take that more uh, theatrical, um, like character and language and idea driven um, set of skills that we had gotten at the drama school and translate them into episodic television storytelling. Um, but while, you know, staying true to your own vision. Um, and I guess also along the way, well, I, I actually moved out to LA with uh, my boyfriend who is now my husband and he is a DP. Um, so he's really into cameras, which is kind of the only part of filmmaking that I didn't get prepared for um, at Yale Drama School. And so that's been really helpful as well to kind of like, um, you know, get that insight from him because really like if you can understand cameras and, uh, and actors, um, you, you can make TV, you know? Um, yeah. So, um, I don't want to skip over too many things. So we'll kind of bounce around some, but when I first saw the affair to me, it felt like this is where television's going. It was so character driven. And for those unaware, it kind of switches back and forth from the perspective in a very drastic manner. Um, what were some of the things you learned on that show that you took with you to Dickinson? Um, well, I think that um, there is definitely a way that um, I guess, I guess uh, th there's a kind of like philosophical quality to the affair because by creating that, um, uh, you know, format where, which is completely unique in television where like each episode of the affair is told from at least two, sometimes more than two different perspectives. Um, there, there's a, I guess there's a sort of philosophical or literary quality to that writing that um, I think is in Dickinson as well, because Dickinson is um, not shy about using subjectivity of characters to sort of determine the bounds and rules of reality. But I guess in Dickinson, it's all guided by the fact that the show is about this poet who has a vision unlike any of the other people around her. And the show, you know, is sort of um, 
uh, guided by Emily's vision and even sometimes by lines and images from her poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think there, I think the embrace, the sort of like wholehearted embrace of subjectivity and perhaps like the, the greater truth that can be found when you are in somebody's subjective perspective, as opposed to just always being in a kind of objective third person type of space. Um, those might be similarities. I imagine some of that's also true for the newsroom in terms of like at least writing and kind of that, you know, rhythmic nature of, of Aaron Sorkin dialogue. Is that something you also kind of carried with you? Like, did you find working on these two shows, you developed your own voice as kind of a mixture or how did you kind of see where you are today? No, I mean, I kind of, you know, came into TV writing already with my own voice because I mean, I was in my thirties already when I started writing for TV. Um, so I had my own voice. I had written, you know, m- a number of plays and, and um, always been a writer. Um, and I had my own sort of writing process. I think that what I was learning to do was how to translate that voice into this new medium, um, new for me, medium of episodic um, television storytelling. So, um, you know, I think that the important thing about having those jobs was that it was a uh, apprenticeship around um, the scope of a television show and how much story is required for an entire season. And then also, of course, um, the, you know, the realities of production um, and how that whole process works, um, which, you know, certainly is similar to uh, putting on a play, but on a much bigger scale. So how long were you carrying this, you know, the basic idea for Dickinson around with you? Um, I had the first sort of impulses of the idea in 2013. Um, And that was the first time I started talking to people about the idea that I wanted to make an experimental half hour uh, dramedy about Emily Dickinson that would use subjectivity in the way that I saw um, shows like Louie um, using, you know, someone's uh, someone's perspective to sort of like guide the action in a creative, like expressionistic way. Um, and I thought that would be, you know, very suited for the character of this poet that nobody understands. Um, and I also wanted to make a period show that was, you know, um, had all of the sort of trappings of a period show, but behaved more like um, some of the newer dark half hour shows that were on TV at that time, like Girls or Transparent, um, that had that kind of intimacy and viscerality that, you know, we don't really associate with period. Um, so those were all the beginning seeds of the idea. And um, I worked on it for a couple of years. In 2015, I wrote what is essentially the same pilot that ended up uh, getting shot. And, you know, um, after I sold it to Apple. So, so that was in 2015. I then partnered with um, these uh, producers, Michael Sugar and Ashley Zalta, um, uh, and Alex Goldstone, who were all at the time at Anonymous Content. Um, uh, now Michael and Ashley have their own company, which is Sugar 23. Um, and we started um, trying to like package the show with a star and a director. And um, eventually in 2017, we sold it to Apple uh, with David Gordon Green attached to direct the pilot. And um, and I believe Haley, Haley Seinfeld was, you know, certainly um, 
our our goal and our idea of of Emily even at that time. Um, so then, yeah. So then we started the writers' room um, and wrote. You know, I wrote season one, um, and we went into production um, in all in 2018. Uh, uh, even at the same time that I was. Um, pregnant with twins and then giving birth to twins and then moving across the country with 11 week old twins. (laughs) So it's, um, it was pretty crazy. So tell me about um, maybe some of your conversations with Haley. There was an article in the New Yorker that says maybe this show is more about the poems than the poet, I guess is the way they were kind of phrasing it. How did you guys talk about the character? I mean, I definitely think that Haley uh, always appreciated the ways that the show makes Emily, um, takes Emily out of being this kind of fusty, old-fashioned, stuck-in-the-past figure and brings her into, you know, full-bodied and full-blooded into the contemporary um, voice and landscape of our, you know, contemporary culture. Um, And I think Haley is Uh, just such the perfect person to do that because she um, can embody those more like, you know, classical dramatic aspects of the character, but also be so modern and funny and um, have this wonderful like pop sensibility in the, in the midst of it all. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's been um, a process now for, you know, multiple seasons of, of discovering the character together and, um, she she is we we are telling a coming of age story so emily um changes over the course of the show she matures she goes through things like any of us do as we're growing up and um her perspective and sort of approach to living um shift and change but always with you know the audience having the foreknowledge that somehow this is going to um somehow this is the origin story of America's greatest female poet, um, who not only wrote, uh, you know, some of the greatest work ever in the English language, but also for some reason chose not to share that work with um, hardly anyone while she was alive, um, and who only was really recognized for her work and her contribution after she died. And that kind of central irony and paradox of Emily Dickinson's life is really the dramatic engine of the show. Um, So a lot of our discussions around the character sort of center on like, you know, how is it possible that she had such a passion and believed in herself so much as a writer um, and yet, uh, you know, for some mysterious reason that is perhaps particularly inaccessible to a contemporary eye, um, shied away from publicity. What were some of the challenges kind of moving from staff writer to creator? Like, how did you go about choosing your staff? What did you look for in maybe those submission screenplays? Um, So I never had submissions for this writer's room. Um, It was always a question of me um, basically going out and seeking um, a a very select group of people that was either people who I was already friends with or um, knew their work in some capacity or literally just uh, thought they were brilliant from the internet. Um, and I would, um, you know, just find people based on that. And, um, 
the 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 timing and the execution of Dickinson has never been anything like what people think of as a traditional uh, television show. Um, for one thing, the writers' rooms have been essentially these kind of um, mini rooms that last uh, only for a few months, and then they result in very rough first drafts that I then spend, you know, close to another year um, revising on my own and prepping for production so that when we go into production, we're going in in each season with 10 completely finished scripts, um, which tells, you know, one story. Um, and part of why it has to be that way is because we are making a period show that, um, you know, has a lot of demands and, and let's just say would, would be a lot more expensive if, if all of the um, prep wasn't able to happen up front. Um, you know, you can't just say, oh, we actually need this 19th century prop and then have someone go find it, you know, it, it, like you could if you were just making a contemporary TV show. Um, and the other reason why it has to be that way is because the show is such a strange um, blend of real facts about Emily Dickinson and her family and her cultural context and her historical context, as well as like um, specific kind of discourse and dialogue with the literary theory around Emily Dickinson. And of course, her actual poems. And, you know, um, even though I've now at this point, sort of built a sort of small brain trust of people on the show who do share some of that knowledge. Uh, really, you know, it's basically me who knows it because I've been reading about Emily Dickinson for 10 years. Um, so it's a very, um, uh, perhaps, you know, like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it, what it is. If every show is unique and at, at this point, the television land, landscape is so, uh, multifaceted that every show is different, but I but Dickinson certainly exists um, far on the spectrum of it's all kind of channeling through me, um, and that also applies to when we are shooting as well because this is always this very tricky tonal balance um, that has to be achieved, and 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 it's not like I have an army of people who like totally get it, although although now that the show exists in and people can watch it. It's certainly easier for people to know the tone, but it's um, you know a strange fact of the timing here that we we wrote and shot, we wrote all of and shot half of season two of Dickinson before season one even came out. So it really was um, a a very unique process in terms of timing. Um, that that required uh, a lot of leadership from me in terms of the vision. Can you share any, so to oversimplify that, you're, you're kind of the Dickinson expert and also you, you polish every single script. When you're thinking about your brain trust, are there other like distinctive elements or like without naming names, like is it like this person's great at, um, you know, this territory, this person's great about knowing this character or is it more like, or like how did you think about, you know, the totality of the writer's room? Yeah, I mean, again, I, I, I really, um, the only requirement for this writer's room is basically you enjoy being in a conversation with me about Emily Dickinson, because mm -hmm. it's not, um, and it's, it's, it's not just that I, you know, it, it, it really goes beyond polishing, like there's, 
there's a way in which, you know, I sort of have, I come into the writer's room saying, this is season two, this is the structure, these are the episodes. I then have this group of very wonderful, empathetic, um, helpful people that, you know, work with me on pulling out some of that material and shaping it a bit more, but then it all comes back to me and I, I shape it and reshape it the way an, an individual writer would with, you know, a much shorter project. I mean, you know, it's essentially there, it's almost like there's 10 chapters of one screenplay, but there's no word in any of those episodes that didn't, you know, go through my typewriter in a certain sense. So it's a, it's a hybrid model. Um, it's not one that I would necessarily want to repeat or need to repeat on a different show. Um, but it's because it's, it's, it's been, it's been, you know, in, incredibly difficult. Um, but, uh, but it is what it is and it's what was needed to make something that, you know, had this, uh, perspective on Emily Dickinson and history and feminism and all the things that we are trying to do with the show. Have you always been this prolific or is it more about this particular subject? And then how do you kind of, you know, rest and recover between all of this as well? Yeah, so I have always been really prolific and um, I, um, I certainly, you know, fell in love with this subject, but I, you know, can guarantee you that I'll never uh, write a, a, another show about a poet and I might never write another period thing. I mean, maybe I... I will, I, I don't know. Um, but I think it was more that like through Emily Dickinson and her family and her um, spirit, I found this strange way of reflecting on my own story and my own experiences coming of age um, in the 20, you know, in the 20th and 21st century. Um, and I, I like to joke that Dickinson is actually secretly about the 90s. Uh, which is when I was a teenager and, uh, and, in my, and then in, I was in my 20s in the 2000s. But um, so, uh, yeah, I think um, I, there's there, you know, I'm, I'm very excited to have the opportunity, you know, at some point to to write something completely different than this. I certainly have written things that are completely different than this before. And, um, and I will again, uh, but I think, you know, everything I write is always going to be very character driven. Um, basically what I do is I, I write for actors. Like that's what excites me. I wanna write um, for great uh, performances. And that's the reason why I, was a playwright and am a you know writer for TV and film as opposed to a novelist, right? Like I I like to um, write for performance, um, and also have the opportunity to work with brilliant um, you know costume designers and music supervisors and um, cinematographers and editors, and I I really love the the whole um, filmmaking process as well. Um, so. Yeah, I think um, rest and recovery would be uh, a really wonderful thing. Um, I <laughs> also, you know, have have in the process of making three seasons. Well, I'm in the midst of making third season three of Dickinson, but in the process of, of these three seasons, I've also had uh, twins who uh, just turned three, and um, it's truly been insane. And uh, and and I, I wonder if the the I wonder when the rest will come in the child rearing aspect of, of things as well. But um, but you know, we'll see. We'll see. I think I think one one answer is just like 
how to love the process. And, um, and for me, a lot of that has to do with the people that you work with and, um, you know, the greatest joy of going through everything that's happened on Dickinson has been finding the people that I just know I will want to work with for the rest of my life because, um, you know, we, we have a, a common, uh, sensibility or sense of humor or a sense of, um, compassion that, uh, just uh, makes me want to, you know, keep going to work with those people. So. So it sounds like a pretty big green light to be well into season two when you were before season one had come out. Is, was that from Apple? Like how, how has it been working with Apple? Do they have any parameters on any style or have you already made the pilot and everything before they saw it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, it was, it was a, um, it was an alternately empowering, um, but also sometimes frustrating process of waiting because, you know, it was really hard to go so far into a project uh, and make, you know, like, like complete the writing of two full seasons without really any, any exact sense of like when any of it was going to see the light of day or be released, right? Which was just sort of an oddity of the fact that we were one of the first shows on the platform, right? So I definitely prefer being on this side of it now where like Apple is up and running as a, um, as a platform and a network. And it's not so much about being like, um, you know, having to, having to cross every single bridge for the first time, um, which is kind of what it was just because of the timing of Dickinson. And of course, I also feel extremely lucky to have been part of the launch and beginning of, of a, of a network. And I think that, um, I have a better sense of, of like a big picture of kind of where the industry is at right now. And, and a lot of, a lot of other people's jobs that maybe in a more traditional setting, I wouldn't have had any reason to get to know, like, exactly what it's like in the marketing department or, you know, X, Y, Z. Um, there was, there was definitely a lot, there was just like a massive amount of like nuts and bolts that, that I got into just by virtue of the fact that like, literally they were inventing a network as I was inventing a show, you know? Um, so yeah, um, I don't know. It was a, it was a, it was a wild ride. And um, I feel like I had such a strong um, vision of what Dickinson was. And I just kept kind of um, articulating that vision and, 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 and sort of when I had to fight for it, fighting for it. But uh, certainly once, once there was, um, I think, you know, the evidence that it was working at least, you know, in, on some levels, um, some, some of that trust, you know, came as well. And um, uh, again, I, I don't think I could have done any of this if I hadn't come from the world of playwriting and self-producing theater, because in some sense, this is always what I had done. Like, I always said, okay, I have a script. Now let's put on a show. Like, I'm going to grab, I'm going to get a bunch of actors who I think are great and designers who I think are great and a director and um, we're going to find a space and we're going to find the resources and we're going to, you know, make an evening, right? Like I, I do think sometimes 
being a showrunner is like hosting a party and you, uh, you want everyone at your party to feel good and be having a good time. And so you're kind of going around being like, Hey, do you need another drink? Like, have you met this person? Should we change the music? How's the vibe? Like, (laughs) um, it, you know, and I, I was, I was basically like hosting the party, um, sort of in, in secret for, for until, until Apple finally was, was ready to launch. And then, and then we, and then, you know, and then we were, we were finally out there in the world. Um, although it was, it was strange because we, we also, as soon as, you know, Dickinson season one finally launched and then season two wrapped basic shortly after that. And right around then is when COVID happened. And I basically like went underground and ended up like writing season three over Zoom in a pandemic. So I don't know. It's just, it's been crazy. (laughs) For those people starting today, you've mentioned your background. You were a playwright. Also read that you had like a a comedic Twitter account at one point. Mm -hmm. And you just said that I've got a script let's put on a show is kind of the mantra. But for those people Mm -hmm. that maybe they've got a script um, written, they've got one connection, something like that. What advice do you have about just that extra bit of confidence to go into the unknown? You know, I mean, really, they really, you really don't know what's going to happen to some degree. So what advice do you have for confidence? Well, if you have written a script, like, first of all, you know, congratulations, and you've already done something absolutely enormous. And um, I think that, you know, for me, something like anything that you can do to help make it feel real um, can be great. So for example, like, let's say you have a script, um, you might invite some people to do a reading of that script. And maybe um, in today's current world, it's a Zoom reading, Um, you know, but like you make it into kind of a little event. So like, you're going to have a Zoom reading and you're going to have everybody like pour themselves a drink and, 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 you know, read the script and you're going to listen to what you learn from, from that. So, um, people will have feedback and it's totally up to you, you know, if you want to hear that feedback or not, and some people's feedback you're going to agree with and some people you won't. But I mean, again, like if you're writing for performance, then the best thing is to start getting actors in there reading your work out loud, um, or to take the sort of production side of things like talk to somebody who knows something about making film and like sit down with them and say like, okay, how would you actually stage and direct this scene? Right? Like what? Oh, okay. So now I realize because I'm talking this through with you, I realize that I put something in here that actually wouldn't work if we tried to shoot it or if we tried to edit it, it wouldn't work. So that's something that I want to change. Right. Or even, even more in a commercial sense, you could say like, okay, what's the trailer for the thing I just made? You know, um, could you could you cut together using like found footage off of YouTube, a imaginary trailer for your own show? These things seem, or, or another example would be, could you cast your show out of pictures from a magazine or pictures from the internet? Can you print out pictures and label them with the names of your characters and hang them on a wall? These kinds of things, even though they seem small, they start to make what you've made tangible in material reality. And they also function as kind of like reality tests for your vision. And the more reality tests 
costs that your vision can sustain and withstand and hold up under, uh, the more real it can be. And if you have written a script that can withstand numerous reality tests, I genuinely believe you have written something that will get produced. Like the bottom line is that people need content now more than ever, and people need producible content. And not everything is producible. So you have to start testing it out, having conversations. You can't, you can't say, oh, I want to go from, from you know, A to Z in 10 seconds flat. Like you can't go to someone and go, make my show. That's not the right first step. You have to start breaking it down and taking these smaller steps, which as you take them are going to improve what you've created. They're going to strengthen you as a creator, and then you're going to get that confidence. And if you, you know, then, then eventually you will get all the way from A to B to C and, and, and through the alphabet, you know? Um, so, so yeah, I think um, it's always a question of breaking things down into smaller steps. Um, so that things can sort of start to feel real. Thank you for tuning in to the show. If it's your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit my new website for information on the YouTube channel, the blog, the podcast, and my new book, Ink by the Barrel, which takes advice from these 200 plus interviews and more at brockswinson.com. You'll see the link in the show notes. Thanks again.